Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business around live events. Whether you're running small meetups or conferences, trade shows, and concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. It integrates with all the major payment gateways such as Stripe, PayPal, and Braintree. And we also have the best email integrations out there, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and many, many more. You can use our versatile website builder or embed tickets directly in your own site. We've got thousands of live events on EventsFrame, ranging from small community meetups to large trade shows and conferences. EventsFrame is especially good for anyone wanting to run multiple events, as you can host an an unlimited number of events on your EventsFrame account. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's genuinely no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. So head on over to eventsframe.com for a free one-month trial. And we also have a special offer just for podcast listeners. Email me at dan at eventsframe.com, D-A-N at eventsframe.com with the subject line podcast, and I'll send you a special discount code. So that's all. Let's get on to the interview. Hi, and welcome to the Events Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to someone I've known for quite a long time, uh, Corin Woodmass from the FBA Broker. Uh, Coran runs um, a business broker, basically helps people that want to sell their company. And he focuses on the kind of niche of Amazon uh, companies, FBA, you know, fulfilled by Amazon. So companies who sell their products on Amazon, although I think he's branching out a little bit. Um, And one of the reasons I want to talk to him is because since I've known him, he's managed to get a bit of a side career speaking uh, at conferences. It's obviously helping him grow his business and maybe even getting paid sometimes. So I want to talk a bit about that and a bit about Corin. So, hi, hi, how are you doing? I'm great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Cool. So, do you want to give everyone a quick like overview of, of what you do? Because it's good for me just to catch up. Because obviously, you know, things change so much every time we meet, and um, I'm not sure what the status of your company is. I know you're hiring and, and getting bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, like you said, my name is Corin Woodmass. I'm founder and managing partner at the FBA Broker. And we were the first company worldwide to focus exclusively on helping product brands that sell, that have an Amazon sales channel, um, sell their businesses. So business brokerage is how we started. Uh, We're morphing more into a cross between an investment bank and an M&A advisory right now, focusing on lower middle market companies. So companies doing anywhere from 10 to 50 million plus, maybe even 100 million in revenue plus. And our niche is consumer products. So anyone that has a consumer product brand that they're looking to sell, whether they sell on Amazon or not, um, most of them are selling via Amazon because it's a massive sales channel. But that's that's what we focus on now. What what does that mean? Morphing into an investment bank. Sure. I used, so, to work, um, I used to work for an investment bank, and I'm a bit confused. I'm sure yeah. the average layperson is confused. <laughs> Sure. So there's a bit of a difference between a, a business broker and an investment bank. There's a, there's a number of um, differences. The main difference I see is a, a business broker typically will have a load of listings. So they're like a, a state agent in the UK, real estate agent, real estate broker in the US, where they'll have 
they'll take on as many listings as they can and sell as many as they can, basically. Um, an investment banking approach is working with a client to get the best outcome for them. So you're talking finding about companies and acquisitions department of, a, of an investment bank. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's what we we've morphed into is how do we find the best the best deal to start with because um, it all starts with the the brand and the the business that we're going to market with how can we find the how can we optimize that business and present it in the best light and then how do we actually go out and actively find the right type of acquisition partner for that business to reach the outcome that the the founder wants and that probably sounds a little bit uh, not so clear but that's that's what we focus on now is how do we get the best result for each client based on what they want and also what they need to help grow the business because oftentimes they're looking for ways to expand the business and they're either at the the limit of their capital and that they can put into the business or the limit of their funding options or their comfort level and also their distribution. So maybe they're really good at their website sales and Amazon, but they don't really understand the brick and mortar distribution channels that are available or or the like. So yeah, that's that's what we specialize in is figuring out where the value is in a business and then going to maximize that in a sale. And I guess you're operating at a level lower than what the investment banks would, would be interested in. So that's kind of your niche in terms of, you know, because they're probably looking at 10 to 100 million, I guess, as a real minimum. Yeah, so our, our minimum right now is 1 million. So you're correct. Uh, we specialize in a seven and eight figure range. So we're, we're doing a couple low eight figure deals at the moment and, and preparing some of those as well. So yeah, we're constantly um, punching up. It, it seems like every deal gets larger. So that's that's a good sign. That's cool. And I guess with this model, you have to take some kind of retainer up front because you, you're working on something that has no guarantee there's ever going to be an outcome for you. Correct. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of analysis work that goes in. We have a full deal team that we bring to the table as well. So there's a lot of prep work that happens. And sometimes uh, we go through some of the prep stages and find there's an issue with the business and we need to wait to go to market. So that's that's an option as well. And because the team is, we're mostly incentivized on a success-based fee, but there is uh, retainers or engagement fees at the front end. And as we go through to um, to get the business in the best position possible to look at it like an investor would before going to market, you don't want to go to market blind, basically. So yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's the process. Yeah, It's interesting that um, the FBA thing yeah you know, i was never sure if this is going to be one of these many fads but it's, it seems to be growing i was I was talking to matt dryer recently i, th I think i had maybe even introduced you to matt he's an fba guy in, in prague yeah runs some pretty big businesses i think german language he seems, seems to be his thing and he just seems to said he's just killing it it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger you know and it seems like it's just uh hasn't yet hit the tipping point i guess absolutely yeah one of the um the most active buyers we're working with right now, they're a four-year-old, um, mostly Amazon-based business. They went from zero to 80 million in revenue in four years. Wow. Um, they've got serious funding, serious M&A team that they've hired, 180 staff. There's a SaaS business that's part of this this business. It's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so yeah. if you want it to be, it can be a real business. I mean, I've never had a business that had like, you know, physical products like these businesses have, but I guess like, you know, that, that's the crazy thing is I've met people who've got big businesses, multi-million revenue, but they can't, they can't take any money out because all their money's tied up in buying more 
you know, buying more stock and things like that. And that's, that's the issue with these businesses, isn't it? Like, I guess it's pro- yeah. probably why some people want to make an exit sometime because it's like, you can, you can have a huge business that it's quite difficult to get cash out of if you're trying to grow it. Yeah, exactly. The, the bulk of the cash needs to go back into the business. And part of the gift and the curse of Amazon, if you get things right, you can grow very quickly. So you're even needing to take on um, outside capital or raising debt to support that growth. Otherwise, you know, all your cash is being sucked back into the business. Definitely. For sure. Well, I want to talk about events because that's obviously the, the topic, you know, and, and, the, and the people listening to this <laughs> podcast is, is a full range from people, you know, running events to support their community, you know, like to, to grow their community by running meetups or even conferences to, to people running, you know, large events. And and speaking at events is a thing I get asked about a lot. And, and every time you kind of pop up on Instagram, you're speaking at another event. So I want to get into that, <laughs> like how it, yeah. how it started, you know, was it an accident? Because obviously... You know, you seem to be, I mean, you mentioned to me last time we spoke, it's really helping you get customers and networks. I'm, I'm curious, like, mm-hmm. what was what was the origin? Did it did it kind of come along by, by accident or what was the start of it? And so we can talk about what came next. A couple of things. So I think number one, definitely the timing of being in this space was really important. Um, I was getting out to podcasts early. So I was reaching out to my network and networking my way onto more and more podcasts. And we, we developed um, an internal set of data that is unique. We're the only ones worldwide that have this data. We started, when I, when I started the FBA broker, a few months in, I was looking at uh, value ranges and trying to figure out how, how to value, how to properly value these businesses as an asset class, as opposed to any other type of business. And I noticed everyone else, as far as online brokers, offline brokers, marketplaces, were valuing them based on different metrics or internal metrics, which included other business models. So we started literally by hand going out and finding everything online we could at, that was available. And we started tracking and reporting on that data. So worldwide, uh, we track everything that we can find publicly available. And in the beginning, I thought this was, wasn't going to be terribly useful because we don't see the inside of the deals. There's no central repository of data. So you don't need to report what the actual deal structure was because all these companies for the most part are private. So there's no need to reveal that information and there's NDAs. So, but what we saw over time was a bunch of trends um, coming out of this data because we were looking at the whole market. We saw you know, sometimes it would take dropping prices for a deal to actually go under offer and close. Um, we're now seeing sell-through rates being really low. Um, we're seeing the we're breaking down trends based on categories on Amazon, um, types of business models within this category, um, and those type of things. So, because we're reporting on this, uh, it started out monthly, and now it's every week because there's yeah, so it's, many it's your transactions. Your weekly newsletter, your your Market Watch Monday newsletter, is that is that the one? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I started um, doing it weekly, and that actually was the thing. Because um, people would reach out to, to us and you know ask us to help value a business if a partnership was breaking up or um, something like that. So we became the authority for data in this space. Yeah. And I also have a pretty strong opinions, as you know, <laughs> on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so that helps as well is, is having the, the data, the knowledge, and then an opinion in one way or the other. So not being afraid to actually put out your opinion into the world really yeah. helps with this stuff because you give contrast. There's a lot of people in this space just say, oh, they're basically pitching for you to sell with them. Whereas I'm, I'm looking at it the other way. I'm looking at what's happening in the market and how do you maximize your exit? And is it even 
the time for you to sell. Oftentimes, I had a call last night with a, a friend of mine as well as a, an Amazon-based seller. And to him, I was saying, look, it's with what where you're at in your life and the life cycle of this business, I wouldn't even sell this business. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's odd to hear from a, a business broker. So, yeah, that's that's how I got started, basically. And it just snowballed from there. It's interesting, the newsletter. I'm ju I've just started that with... The podcast, because you know, like you know, like a, you know, this podcast is it's focused on on events, people, and you know, like you like you know, I've I've been into podcasting for a long time. I've just never got going in it, and and this is good because there's actually business reasons as well. You know, obviously we're promoting, uh, we have an advert at the beginning and the end for Events Frame, which everyone should check out, by the way. That that's there's a useful business reason, but but in you know, it's also cool because you get to speak to everyone who runs every kind of event, and we've started doing a weekly newsletter when I post the podcast and then I look for sort of, sort of trends or things that are happening with people running events. So it's kind of a little bit mm. of a similar format, I think, to what you're doing in terms of it's trying to position as an authority in, in, a, in a certain area, you know, and, and keeping the content yeah. regular. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that really lit the fire under that was um, time, which you can't really hack. You just need to keep consistent. That's but true. also now I do Facebook Lives. I put that video up on LinkedIn. Um, we do Instagram stories, Instagram posts. Um, that content is is distributed everywhere. Um, on that day, I, d I do the Market Watch Monday live now as a video. And at the last conference I was at, which is probably around the time you reached out to do this podcast, a lot of people actually reached out to me. And the largest deal I'm working on right now was a direct result of LinkedIn videos. He said to me, I love your LinkedIn videos. I feel like I can trust you. I, I can, the way you communicate, I, I gel with, you know, you, you're going to repel some people as well. Of course, I swear on my <laughs> videos because I'm just me, right? I, I don't want to be well, someone else. You have to be authentic. Yeah. Although <laughs> yeah, you are absolutely. looking very different. When I first met you, you were just rocking the hip hop gear. Now it's like a suit and a suit and tie. So there's some changes going on <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah. But yeah. I try, I try and, um, yeah, scrub up a little bit from time yeah. to time. <laughs> it depends what, where I am. <laughs> exactly. What about um, this is great. This is actually just this is all just interesting for me. What um, so let's can I just ask you my example then? For example, should I just record the podcast also in video format and then post to like put video on YouTube, video on uh, on um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or do you do it natively in those apps? Like I'm just trying to think. Someone like me is doing a podcast, I could easily put in a video component or should just record yeah. a separate video summary of the interview, me just talking about it and post that to each of these things. I'm curious how I could do this to sort of grow the audience of this podcast. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll give you my two cents. I'll give yeah. you what I do now and what I'm planning to do because I'm actually launching a podcast myself called Truth About Exits yeah. and I'll tell you what, what I'm doing over there. So uh, with the Market Watch Monday, the the live data that we, live video I do, it's data that we email out every Monday. So I literally just talk about what, what we've sent out in an email. And the way, the best way I've found to do this, I've tried a bunch of different ways, is I record on my phone yeah. um, two ways. We do two recordings now with my phone. So one horizontal, one uh, vertical or whatever that is, yeah. both both ways. Um, the yeah. The one that's face up. I'm pretty sure it's horizontal and vertical, Corin. Just, just, just to clarify, <laughs> they are the two uh, dimensions you're looking to. You're looking for Por portrait <laughs> and horizontal. Or, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so the portrait one uh, with the phone face uh, straight up, we use for a Facebook Live um, because if you if you upload 
that as a Facebook Live in that format from your phone, it'll automatically go to your Facebook story. Right. So that's what I do there. So that's step one. Uh, step two is I uh, we do a horizontal version and I use that for LinkedIn. So I so use- just upload, I modify, What about Instagram then? The same one that you upload to Facebook yeah. or does that just link into Facebook? Getting, that's next. Okay. <laughs> one, one, okay well, there's yeah. one step in between. <laughs> yeah. I, um, that, well, there's a couple more steps. So I take a chopped down version of the email. We don't put in the infographics and stuff that we have in the email, just the, the highlights of the copy. I then edit my post on Facebook to add in the, the text of the copy so that people can read it or watch it because not everyone wants to just um, watch a video because there's no subtitles, right? Yeah. So on, on LinkedIn, it's the same. We put put the copy in. Then for Instagram, I use an app called Cut Story and I, um, I chop the video up using Cut, Cut Story. It puts it into 15 second increments. I um, find a image or something to put on the front of that to grab attention. A few weeks ago, I, I tried something that was a bit out there and offended a bunch of people, which is kind of funny. What was that? As the, um, <laughs> it was, I, was uh, I went to the bathroom at a restaurant in Austin and there was this hilarious image of um, encouraging you to wash your hands. And it said, if you don't, it had two guys shaking hands and it said, if you don't wash your hands, you're doing this. And there was another image below where the guys were hands in each other's crutch, which I thought was hilarious. And <laughs> yeah. uh, you got to know forward. your, uh, not everyone's going to yeah. share that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so people, some people didn't like that. Um, but I, I put that on the front. So it grabs attention for people to watch the story. And then it just is the same story. And then on Instagram as a post, I find a, um, a, a photo, uh, usually of somewhere I am. And then I just put in below the text of Michael Watch Monday. So that's my my workflow. Um, my assistant also, um, our admin assistant, not Beck, who you've, you've met, um, she also uploads the video to the website as a blog post. So we, we replicate the, the whole email and put the video on as a blog post every week. So there's this whole system for just one piece of content turns into a ton of content. And, you know, you said you were talking to James Shremko earlier today. So he's, he's all about using that content in multiple ways. So that's what I do with, with that. Any questions on that? Or should yeah, I go no, what about, um, which is like, do you taking like the 80 20 rule, like of all, you know, the newsletter posting to, to LinkedIn, all these different channels you posted to all the different things. Like what, what would you say? Like there's usually one or two things that are like bringing you the most return. And is, is that something you could identify for you? Yeah, I'd say the lives on Facebook and the LinkedIn video, um, they appeal to a different client. So LinkedIn, for the most part, for me, is more the buy side. So investors love seeing that there. They're not on Facebook, whereas a lot of our sell side clients are on Facebook. But what I've noticed recently is the larger sellers, the, the lower middle market companies doing eight figures to nine figures in revenue are all on LinkedIn. So um, it depends where your audience is. And I'd, I'd test a bunch of things. I'm still doing the whole gamut because I feel like longer term Instagram, there's there's more room for growth on Instagram, I feel. Yeah. But um, the Facebook Lives and then the LinkedIn video are the thing for me that so far really moves the needle. Interesting. So so you did you started this, this kind of content journey. And how did that lead to you speaking at, at a first event or being involved in an event? So um, I think the first... It's kind of funny, actually. A podcast uh, at at one of the DC events in Prague, 
um, our mutual friend, Mike Michelini, um, who I think you've also interviewed yeah. for this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I met Mike in Prague. Um, we'd met before, but we were, we were just chatting and I said, um, I'd actually spoken at that event. So I, I pitched to speak at that event. I helped coordinate I remember the event. In Simon's, so in actually... Simon's garden, wasn't it? Simon's yeah, yeah garden, exactly. Yeah. So I think that was the first time I spoke. Um, I spoke to Mike after that and I said, Hey, um, maybe I could come on the podcast. I, I pitched to get on the podcast. Right. And that actually led to my first major speaking event which I actually bombed at and I've never been invited back to, which is a bit oh, funny. That's, cool. so so that, that's kind of a story I want. So tell me, tell me about that one. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, so you went on Mike's podcast and then someone someone yep. heard you on the podcast yep. and got in touch with you or what, yep. what happened? He actually referred me. So Mike referred me to right. the, um, the coordinator. I was very new to speaking. Um, I still don't think I have a great um, speaking presence. I just, I'm really passionate about my topic, but I'm constantly trying to improve. Yeah. Um, and back then... I, I just went for it. I thought, hell, this is my perfect audience. And where, where was I'm the conference? What, what was the topic, and what, and what did you get asked to speak about? So it was in it was in Hong Kong. Um, yeah. I won't mention the name if that's no, no, okay. No, no <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but, um, Tell me after so, so, I can, so I can look at yeah. look it up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's we've actually got it on our website, I think. But yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Um, and the part of the reason it was so terrible was I like to be able to speak freely and not use a lot of notes. And I only realized this later. So at the time I was trying to stick to a script and memorizing stuff isn't my strong suit. I'm more, a, I can just talk freely about a topic. So at the time I was trying to make sure I got my points really clear and I had a bunch of notes. I was literally reading and there was only a little bit of personal story or interest there. And, um, so I, I went and did this talk and I, I came off stage and I, I don't even remember what happened. Um, but then the first guy that reached out to me that came up and shook my hand, he said, thanks so much for that. Um, I have a, a business doing 10 million in revenue. I want you to help me sell it. So even though I bombed on stage, when I walked off the first person, the very first person was a lead. I'm still working that lead. We haven't um, come to terms or oh. taken that to market, oh, what was but the... that was a lead. What was this, what was the topic of the conference and what kind of number? I'm curious, like what kind of amount of people were there? Like how many people did you speak in front of? Uh, there was about three or four hundred people. Oh, pretty decent maybe. size, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a decent. It was a decent room. Um, and, and you had a bunch of notes the, in your hand, or you were looking on your on your computer? Yeah, or yeah, literally. Yeah, because like, I've made that mistake. And now I just I have, I have I have enough bullet points on the slide so I can refer back to it. If I need to, I can look at the slide and get my bearings and freestyle it. You know. But uh, yeah, yeah, it always looks so That's bad. That's what I do now too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the topic of the conference is all about uh, import-export from from China, basically. Right. Um, so it was my target market, a lot of e-commerce sellers. Right. And I was talking about um, trends with Amazon-based brands because a lot of the sellers in that room were selling on Amazon. So not all 100%, but they all had an Amazon presence. So at the time as well, it was pretty controversial because a lot of people thought it was against TOS to to actually sell an Amazon account and transfer an Amazon account. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little bit controversial. Um, I went up there and, and said my piece and got some interesting questions out of it. But um, yeah, I followed up with the, the guys who created the event. They never got back to me. Um, multiple times and <laughs> they they promoted I, I saw the the 
response after because they promoted everything else and just admitted that I was even a part of it. So well, you know that was what? Kind it's good. It's good you can admit to it. You know, it's really good because a lot of people like um, try to present that everything is one un unbridled success. Yeah, everything's one success after another. And like anyone who's had any business for any amount of time knows that it's just never like that. You know, there's always a lot of pitfalls, setbacks, the U-turns. You know, it's always like that. And and that's the thing. I mean, when it comes to speaking, I think the the risk of having that happen, like I mentioned, the the first person that that networking opportunity of being a speaker was worth it. I'd I'd go do that exact mistake again. Like I would relive that um, speaking event just to go back and and network with that again. So when you're a speaker, even if you bomb, you have people coming to you about your topic. Definitely. Instead of, I'm I'm really awkward at events. I'm I'm actually a bit of an introvert. <laughs> um, I've discovered, which I didn't think was the case. But um, if I'm in a big group, I just kind of go quiet and I'll I'll just stand in the corner, kind of thing, kind of creepy like. <laughs> yeah. So when I speak, people come and and ask for me and line up to talk to me after, and it, it makes it easier because I I know my topic and I can talk about it all day. It's just getting that initial conversation started that I find really awkward and uncomfortable. So It's interesting, yeah, I've, I've, had, I've given talks that haven't gone well, and it's, it's a good experience in that you think, well, this is the worst thing that could happen, you know? I mean, I haven't, I haven't given a talk I've been paid to do where, where it bombed, but that, that, I guess that is a bit more stressful. But even then, you know, like, what's the worst that can happen? They don't invite you back. You know, sorry, you know, great, you know, I did my best. That was it, you know, that's, that's the worst. And it's not that bad. Yeah, exactly. And the upside is so much better. You know, the event I was just at in, in Dallas, um, some of the speakers didn't stick around. They, they took off, they just came, spoke and left. So that's and a it huge mistake. A... I, I hate oh, yeah. that because I run a lot of events, Absolutely. as you know, and, and I nothing I hate more than prima donna speakers who get a little bit of exposure. Like the attendees want to meet the speakers, and it's a great opportunity for the speakers. And I can't, it drives me nuts when when they do that. It doesn't happen to me too often, you know. Most guys who speak at my events are amazing, and they want to hang out and, and get to know people. But but I want to say I want to I want to get back to the story. So this event, I presume, you know, you paid for yourself to go to Hong Kong, etc. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What, what was the next event? Did you just did it accelerate? And I mean, how many events have you spoken at at this point since then? Mm. Yeah, I should have counted before no, we got on. Roughly. Um, I'd say anywhere from 10 to 15 cool. at this point, I think. So not a ton. Uh, I don't do it all that often, but it's it's one of my favorite things. Um, and I have a specific approach when I, I do events as well. So do you want me to yeah, sure. talk a little bit about that? So, so the hack with speaking that I've found is, one, to be the speaker, obviously, yeah. because people come to you. Um, what I've started doing in – so I – I'm, I'm very passionate about my topic and I want to help everyone. So I've been caught in the past just trying to give as much advice as I can to one person um, when there's 50 people lined up wanting to talk to me. So I've, I've found that's one, not effective for the person I'm talking to and two, kind of pisses off everyone else that's waiting in line. Yeah. So what I do now, I keep it brief. I give them maybe one tip, maybe two. And then I say, look, if you email us, we can set up a call and talk specifically about your business. This isn't a five second conversation. And to give you as much value, let's do a call, no charge. Let's talk about your business. And also then I can help more people while I'm here. And people really respect that as an approach. Yep. But um, so that's one. But the second thing I do is I take time to network with the other speakers and sponsors of the yeah. event because other speakers 
often have your same target market, depending on the, the conference or event. Um, they will often have a similar target market. They're also wanting customers in your space. So I always lead with um, service and help. I ask them, what are they looking for? Um, where are they stuck? What, what could I help them with before I ever ask anything for me? Yeah. I, in fact, I never ask anything for me at an event. Um, so that's my approach with sponsors as well. If I can, I'll go talk to as many of the sponsors as I can and figure out what they're up to and, and offer them, you know, maybe we'll promote them to our audience. Maybe we could do a Q and a, um, now we've got this podcast, there might be room to, um, to bring them on a podcast. I've done webinars before to our audience with other speakers. So if you lead with service first, some really interesting stuff comes out the other side. Podcasting is a great way to network. I've been surprised the people who I've asked on the podcast who just said yeah straight away, you know, because um, I think cause it's, it's established now. People can see it's got traffic and reviews and and it's regular uh, and you know they can listen to some good interviews. But um, you know, it's been an amazing networking tool for me. I think you know I haven't had a really good networking boost recently. Obviously, the Dynamite Circle, the group we're members of, really helped me. But I kind of you know like you know when you're in any group, you sort of plateau after a while and don't meet as many new people. Yeah. But this has been great. The, the podcast, yeah, so I highly recommend it. But I'm curious, like, you, I know you got paid to speak. I think it was in Ukraine, is that right? So, how, mm -hmm. how did how did that come about? And has there been other times when you've been paid to speak, or at least they've covered your expenses? Yeah, so so far it's mostly covering expenses. Sure. Um, the Ukraine event was kind of a that really opened my eyes to to what potentially getting paid and being a professional speaker would look like. Sure. So because that event. Um, it's quite a large event and they, I think there was about five or 600 people at this event that paid to be there. Um, but the, the organizers of the event were really cool. They put us up for a whole week um, and they took us out. They put us up at the Hilton, which was really nice. But then on the second day, we got this agenda and they said, we're going out to this country club for a night. So they, they paid for the Hilton and took us out to this country club for the night. It wow. was ridiculous. Like the, the level uh, we didn't, I think I paid for one thing in a week, yeah. like out of my own pocket. It was nuts. Everything was covered. They were super friendly. They, they had minders with us at all times. So you felt like a rock star. It was, it was crazy. They really laid it on. Was, well. that, was the and, conference making a lot of money? Do you think? No, they were actually losing money right. on the event itself. Um, I, I was talking to Igor who runs the, the event and um, he was saying, look, it's a, it's a loss leader for us, but they wanted to bring the, the best speakers they could. And the, the speakers, I actually um, got introduced uh, to, to Igor um, in Chiang Mai of all places through a friend. And then another friend, they had multiple friends say, you've got to go to this event. And it was because of how well they're treated um, the year before. They, if, basically, if you're a, a foreign person outside the Ukraine coming to this event, you can essentially get in on a lot of this this type of stuff because they want to make sure that you come back and have a great time. Um, so it was... And what, what are they looking... What's, what are they selling down the line? That, what's their long-term business uh, plan then? Yes. So they, they do uh, courses on how to sell on Amazon. They also have software. Right. Um, and they're also large Amazon sellers themselves. So it's more of a, a networking um, type piece. Uh, they also recorded a, a podcast interview with me after the event. And I know that's been turned into a course now as well. Cool. Um, so yeah, they, they're all about courses and software for Amazon sellers. So they, 
they definitely make money off that stuff. Um, but the event is more a, an excuse to get people together and then a way to get top speakers over there. That's where I met um, Kevin King and Ryan Moran and um, a lot of other guys. Casey, who started, um, oh shit, I can't remember his yeah. company's name. <laughs> on the top of my head. That's anyway, fine. We'll I met a bunch. Yeah, I met a bunch of people at this event, and uh, that's led to um, the speaking event I was just at, and and that sort of networking. A lot of that came from that one first major event. Interesting. Uh, one thing I've noticed a mistake a few speakers make is, you know, I was saying before about instant prima donnas, and the, the biggest time I've seen that happen to people is when they get they get paid. Someone covers their expenses, like like this example you just gave to go to an event, and then every event that asks them from that point on to go, I want my expenses covered. And I'm like, no, yeah. there's no, and, and it's, it's, it's so, so small minded because most of the time, you know, you should be able to get a huge ROI by speaking at an event, you know, but you mm -hmm. don't even need it yeah. covering, you know, and, and you, not every event has the same budget. Some events have sponsors and they have the money to pay people, you know? So I think it's a mistake a lot of people make is it's great to get paid, but don't expect it every time. Yeah. Yeah. It, de it depends on stay. So my, my focus is to stay on point with my main business model. And as the, the speaking opportunities become uh, more frequent, um, if, if there's a paid opportunity or expenses covered, I've got one coming up in Vancouver that, again, is all expenses covered. That's awesome, you know, but, but I'd do it anyway because my, main, my core focus is still my main business. So I think if, it depends on your business model. If speaking is part of your business model, then, yeah, you need to put in more work to get more leads, to get more speaking gigs. <laughs> but for me, it's, it's a side, side exactly. business. Exactly. It's, it's a funnel. How are you networking to get more events now? Are you, obviously, there's some word of mouth, but are you, are you contacting event organizers directly to say, look, hey, I've got this amazing session and here's, here's some references? Or how are you approaching this now? Yeah, so not so much. Um, we've got plans to do that later in the year. But for the moment, I'm actually meeting a lot of event organizers at other events. And they're always in the VIP area at VIP dinners. Um, and it, like I said at the, uh, earlier, when you, when you have an opinion and some authority in a space, but a, maybe even a controversial opinion, it, people just either gravitate to that or they're repelled by it. So having something unique to say about a space, and for us, it's updating the, the data and constantly being a finger on the pulse because I do the bulk of our deals personally. I've not many people who speak in this space actually do the deals. So that's quite unique in the space. Cool. Well, Corin, that's great. I think we're just about out of time. So there's a ton of uh, useful information there. I was just going to say in closing, are you, um, have you got any plans like to run your own events, your own meetups or anything like that? Or are you, are you going to stick to speaking at, at other people's events? Um, I'd like to at some point in the future, I'd like to start with more of a retreat style, sure. um, high-end mastermind type type deal. Um, events, I think definitely would be in the cards, but I'd have to partner with people. Um, we're at the point right now where um, maybe even I'd, I'd talk to you, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, because our, our team is, is really stretched and uh, as it is with our main core business. So it'd have to make sense. And I think with the, the new podcast we're doing, that's one of the, the angles I'd like to go. Uh, but yeah, definitely on the cards for the future. Sounds good. Well, Corin, thank you very much and all the best for the future. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result, you sell more tickets. 
Check out eventsframe.com 